African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us on a new day right here on Channel Africa. Thank you for joining us on the frequency 965 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Remember, we also on DSTV and Channel 802 on the audio book. Hey, this is African Dialogue. We're from Monday to Thursday. We look at the big subject matters on the African continent. And uh, if you're streaming us outside the continent, you can also stream us on www.channelafrica.co.za or on our app, uh, which is simply titled uh, Channel Africa. Well, today it's a bit of a sad story and it's an ongoing problem in Africa actually, the issue of child soldiers. According to media reports, more than 19,000 children are thought to have been recruited by all sides since the South Sudan Civil War broke out in 2013. We know that this is not just a South Sudan problem, but it's one that can we see in the DRC, we see in parts as well of North Nigeria. So it's nothing really unique to this one country. Well, the United States Nations has released almost 2,000 uh, in uh, South Sudan specifically. More than 10% of them have been under the age of 13. Imagine children under the age of 13 actually recruited to be soldiers. And we know the, the environment that they find themselves in. They can be sexually abused. They're not fed very well. They don't have access to education. So a whole lot of problems. Well, human rights groups say child recruitment continues even at South Sudan's government states. It has committed to ending the practice. Well, to discuss this further, we'll be speaking to experts today. But I want us to listen to the program manager at Child Soldiers International, Tim Melanieu, who says a major problem of trying to incorporate ex-child soldiers back into society is the fact that that uh, they've been so isolated as well from the normal uh, life that me and you live. Let's listen to what he had to say. The experiences of children who are with armed forces or armed groups will vary significantly. So there can't be any kind of one-size-fits-all approach, but generally children in these contexts will be exposed to quite traumatic events that can have a really serious impact on their physical and mental health and often take place in contexts where there are serious disruptions to community, family life and so on and so forth. And that poses a real challenge for rehabilitation and reintegration of children. I mean, it's not just about being released from armed groups, although that's the key first step, but then there needs to be a longer term process of support for their return to communities, their social reintegration, and this can be a sort of long and complex process and quite difficult. There are all kinds of issues there. I mean, Girls, for instance, often face sexual violence while associated with armed groups during armed conflict. And when they return to communities, can face all kinds of stigma and challenges just getting back into living a normal civilian life in their communities. So this problem is multifaceted and has a huge impact on children and broader communities. And looking at the development agenda, I mean, this is an issue that's included in the SDGs. And I think the kind of impact that it has on children and communities is a long-term one. And it can undermine, obviously, aspects of social reintegration and economic recovery and so on and so forth. So I think that dealing with armed conflict situations, rehabilitation and reintegration of children who've been involved in armed conflict is a really important part of helping societies recover from those conflict situations. 
Well, that's the voice of Tim Melanieu, who is the program manager at uh, Child Soldiers International. Uh, they're speaking to us on the line uh, from London. Well, to further this uh, conversation, we're now joined by Jonathan Petnewt, who is the emergency researcher at Human Rights Watch. And uh, we'll see if we can uh, get uh, UNICEF's chief of child protection in South Sudan, Vedaston Zasungwanko, who is uh, uh, probably on the line joining us from South Sudan. We'll see if we can get clarity on that particular line as well uh, because he is joining us very from far. Jonathan is joining us from Oslo there on the line. Let me start the conversation with you, uh, Jonathan, in terms of uh, uh, this uh, huge problem of uh, child soldiers that continues to be a problem on the African continent. I mean, when you look at the age that of these young children, most of them are under the age of 13, and I think that is a very worrying indeed. And uh, and I know that uh, even as uh, Human Rights Watch, you did a, a report looking at how uh, uh, the, the warring parties have really failed, really, uh, to uh, really come to the board with the promises they made to break the, the end of uh, the, the, the culture of recruiting sh- child soldiers. Well, indeed, very good to uh, very good to be on the program. Um, I mean, when it comes to South Sudan, I mean, the, the question of child uh, recruitment has been an ongoing problem and one that uh, is not a recent uh, it's not a recent phenomenon by any means. Uh, South Sudan has a long history of conflict, as you know. I mean, it's a conflict. It's a country that was born out of a, a very uh, a very dramatic uh, and extremely long civil war with the government of Sudan. And throughout this conflict, uh, armed groups, including the SPLA at the time, the Sudan People's Liberation Army that, that brought uh, the country into existence, uh, were recruiting children and using children uh, to fight with the Sudanese armed forces. Uh, now, obviously, you know, moving forward a few, a few years, you have the independence in 2011. Uh, the country uh, is, you know, a slush with a lot of money, a lot of international aid and development going into South Sudan. And in 2013, we have this uh, very, uh, very bloody conflict uh, erupting in Juba. And since then, we've seen a, a renewed push by uh, the various armed parties in South Sudan to recruit children and use those children uh, in order to uh, not only fight uh, against uh, other communities, but also in order to uh, destroy their own communities. Uh, We've seen government soldiers, for instance, going against um, children from specific ethnic groups uh, to recruit them, forcibly recruit them, and then, uh, you know, send them back to attack their own communities. So it's it's really, you know, it's the continuation of a a very long uh, problem uh, when it comes to South Sudan. Well, let me engage um, Vedasto there joining us from UNICEF in terms of uh, he's part of the uh, Chief of Child Protection Department there in South Sudan, joining us uh, uh, from the country itself. Uh, uh, Vedasto, from your perspective, in terms of the continued problem of uh, child soldiers in in South Sudan, uh, it seems like it's still rife to this particular moment because even if we speak about how many numbers of children are still being released. It's really large numbers. I know the latest is 300, but I know this has been a long-going program uh, that is not just uh, started very recently, but has been going on for very long.
Well, we're struggling with that line uh, with Vedasto there. We'll see if we can uh, try get some uh, a clear line there uh, because we know that he's speaking to us from Juba and sometimes the lines there are not that very great. But let's look at the issue of, um, you know, the the political will with you Jonathan is it there because it seems like uh, this idea of uh, reintegrating um, child soldiers back into society and even getting them released has become very much an an agency of non-governmental organizations and and civic society well indeed I mean I think one one of the big issues that we are facing with South Sudan is that we have um, you know, in command of the various armed groups, people who are extremely experienced uh, in all to uh, not only to, to do to say the right things, but do quite the opposite. Uh, you know, there has been so many sessions of, of negotiations with the South Sudanese armed parties, and there have been several uh, memorandums signed in which uh, the parties committed to releasing child soldiers and uh, to not recruiting new ones. Uh, there has been, uh, obviously, a peace agreement that was signed uh, in August 2015. And with all of these agreements, uh, sadly, we've, we've seen that the South Sudanese parties, the South Sudanese leaders, including President Kier uh, and, and rebel leader Riek Machar, they have all reneged on their own words. Uh, they, they, they are people who, uh, in order to obtain advantages uh, from the international community or lift the pressure uh, put onto them from the international community will commit to a number of things. But unfortunately, the problem is that quite often, if not always, uh, we see that uh, there is no political will to go through with these promises. Uh, in the case of, of child soldiering, it's been particularly interesting for, for me and my, my colleagues to, um, to discover while we were in South Sudan in December that the recruitment has continued after uh, a series of, of agreements that, uh, in which those parties pledged to stop uh, this sort of practice. Um, we saw that after the 2016 fighting in Juba, and if you'll remember, uh, as part of the peace agreement, uh, the rebel leader, Riek Machar, uh, was, was you know, returned to the capital. There was to be a, a government of national unity. Um, and unfortunately, all of these, these plans uh, sort of, uh, you know, stopped when fighting erupted in the capital once again, pushing uh, Riek Machar to flee the capital and flee the country. He's now obviously in, in South Africa at the moment in Pretoria. And as a as a result of this fighting, what we saw is the is 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 the, is the, is the the expansion of the conflict to new areas uh, that had previously been less affected by the war. And as a result of that, obviously, we've seen more recruitment of children uh, in, those, in those regions. Uh, so, you know, UNICEF uh, mm-hmm. had figures um, in 2015, 2016, they had figures of about 16,000 child soldiers in South Sudan. Uh, now we're talking of about 19,000 uh, child soldiers. Within the span of two years, we've had at least 3,000 more children recruited and used by the armed forces in spite of all the agreements. So clearly, I think, I think it's fair to say that when it comes to uh, protecting human rights, to upholding human decency, uh, to, uh, to upholding the laws of war, the parties in South Sudan have shown themselves to be extremely deceitful uh, and, 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 uh, and not, not trust, trustworthy at all. 
Well, I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to see if we can establish uh, uh, our contact in uh, uh, South Sudan. Joining us from uh, Juba Vidasto uh, and Sanzu Gwango, who is UNICEF's Chief of Child, Child Protection, Protection in South Sudan. Sudan. We, we also joined uh, on the line who's speaking to us uh, from uh, Human Rights Watch, the emergency uh, researcher, uh, Jonathan Pudnield. Uh, let's take a quick one. It's 11.20 Central African time. We'll be back after this. Channel Africa has good news for you. We have extended our reach. If you have an iPad or iPhone, download the Channel Africa iOS app at itunes.apple.com. If you have a cell phone, then get our Android app at Google Store. Get the latest news from Africa. Get the Channel Africa app. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. All right, so thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa. Today we're looking at a very serious issue, which is the problem of uh, child soldiers in South Sudan. And I think we're trying him on Skype now, Vidasco and Sazungwango, who is joining us from UNICEF's Chief of Child Protection Unit in South Sudan. Vidasco, I hope I have you there on the line. I know we're joining you from Juba, South Sudan. Can you hear me clearly, Vidasco? Yeah, we can hear you very clearly. We'll just up the levels there of your volume there. And uh, we speak to Jonathan, and, and he was speaking about just uh, how difficult it is uh, with this particular situation of child soldiers in South Sudan, also because of the uh, real uh, issues uh, that have to do with uh, the politics of the country. In terms of uh, these releases and the operations, I'm sure listeners are very much interested on how you actually embark on that particular process says because these large numbers of children they have to also be reintegrated into their own communities can you put us through on how also this negotiation with the, some of these armed groups work and um, i'm sure it's a tough tough negotiation process yeah, thank you very much uh, uh, for that question what i can say is that uh, as you mentioned it's, it's very difficult negotiation and it takes time I can just take you back to, to, to the, the journey which we took with the, with the signing uh, uh, action plan with the, with the armed group SPLA-IO to start with when my child was still in the country. We were able to establish contact and then we visited him in his stronghold and of course through the monitoring and reporting data we have regarding recruitment of children. We are able to, to share with him the data we have and, the, and, and discuss with him and, the, and urge him to, to release children who are in his ranks and, the, and, and stop recruitment and, the, and committing other grave child rights violations. Of course, we signed, but after signing, it depends with, the, with the how strong are the, the chains of command. What we realized at that moment is that uh, you can sign with the leader of the group, with the top authority, but then it's difficult that message to reach down to commanders who are on ground and who are in, in control of those children. But also we, we, we went further and discussed with, the, with SPLA, National Forces, on uh, the reports we have on recruitment of children. And then, and then what, we, what we are happy is that we are getting very good cooperation with government. We are having meetings, we discuss issues, we agree to monitor, to, to go to their uh, barracks and their, their camps 
to do screening together, but it's, it's, it's a long, long process. Of late, I mean, a few, few, few months ago, we started negotiation with the group in Yambio area, where the conflict now has spread from other areas where we used to know that there's conflict. Mm. And uh, it took us about eight months to be able to sit down, discuss with the group, and agree to release children. And uh, last month, as you might be aware, we were able to have almost 300 children in the it sounds like a very uh, painstaking uh, uh, process in itself. And, uh, you know, the, the, the big issue is that um, as much as uh, this is uh, very much of a humanitarian project as UNICEF works in, in such an area, because UNICEF works as a very much uh, a donor-aided um, organization, it, it shouldn't be mired in some of the politics of the country. How do you navigate around those issues, especially uh, through the negoti- negotiation process? Uh, UNICEF is a child rights organization. We, as you said, we always try to be very straight, looking at uh, international obligation and what are the obligation of, of course, not only the country but uh, other parties to conflict. So one major uh, line of, 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 of penetration we are using is to make sure that the parties to conflict they commit themselves by signing action plan to stop recruitment and use of children. So whenever we are discussing with them, of course, in terms of politics, we also, we also refer their commitment, for instance, in the, in the, in the, in the peace agreement, where there is a clause uh, urging all parties to conflict to release children to UNICEF for reintegration back to their community. Mm-hmm. So in our, our discussion with parties to conflict, we don't dwell much into politics, but we look at see who is the child, best interest of the child, what are their obligations, and the, the, the fact that the child should be in family setting, go to school, and not going to fight. Hmm. I want to come back to you, Jonathan, because despite the fact that we can work from that particular perspective where we, we are seeing a resolution coming from uh, uh, really a more civil society perspective, the, the, the real problem of South Sudan is still the political conflict in the country. I think uh, we lost Jonathan there now. I can hear the crackling there in the sound system. Uh, Let's come back to you, Vedasto, in terms of that, in terms of the fact that it's very difficult when you deal with child soldiers, uh, especially when you have already uh, gotten them released from these uh, organizations. The big question is how you actually reintegrate them back into society. And I'm sure that process is very complex. Yeah, the, the, the process is complicated, especially, uh, as you said before, now that uh, South Sudan is still in conflict. So when the country is still in conflict, the parties to conflict, of course, they are still beefing up their troops, and, they, and, and we still receive uh, reports of recruitment of children. But secondly, uh, in the situation of the country, socioeconomic status of the country, and down to the family is, is, is complex. And when we are talking of reintegration, we are talking of provision of social services to children, but also to community and their families. So it's, it's complicated, but uh, in reintegration package we are providing, we have different services we, we target into 
into that package. One of it is the provision of psychosocial support to make sure that we, we, we address the psychosocial well-being of, those, of these children who have been released. But also the other component is that we make sure we provide tracing and familiarization of these children because the, the primary place these children need to stay is not in interim care center or in foster care families. They are supposed to stay with their families. So we do tracing and make sure that we reunify all these children who have been uh, released by armed forces and armed groups. Going back to the services to children, we would be happy to see that uh, all children who are released are going back to school. So for those who are at school going age, we roll them into school while we're providing psychosocial support. But those who are not in, in, in school going age, we, we, we provide them other services which include vocational training and all, all, all provision of other socioeconomic uh, uh, activities for them to make sure that they are busy, they are able to do it, but also there are many other uh, youth programming which, which make them busy and we are able to to, to return them to community and live their normal life. Mm. Stay with me, David Astor. Thank you for speaking to us. Uh, and it's very clear connection that we're getting from you there from uh, 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 South Sudan uh, in Juba. And we're looking at uh, the latest uh, uh, release of child soldiers. And we know that a lot of them uh, who are recruited in these rebel groups live in horrific conditions. Uh, they're sexually assaulted. Millions of them can be malnourished out of school. And uh, some of them can be really integrated into these uh, uh, rebel groups at a young age. I mean, you can look from an age of five years old and uh, very, very horrifying statistics of what's happening, especially when we see the politics of what's happening in, in South Sudan. Uh, joining us is Vedasto and Sanzungwango, who is the UNICEF's Chief of Child Protection in uh, South Sudan. Jonathan Petnult was also joining us from Human Rights Watch, uh, speaking to us uh, uh, from uh, uh, Oslo. Let's say a quick break we'll be back it's 11:30 central african time this is channel africa south africa's official international public radio station on shortwave internet and satellite from an african perspective Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French, and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyenzovo, and you are listening to Channel Africa. We love Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, where we give you things from an African perspective. Well, today we're looking at the problem of child soldiers in uh, South Sudan. We know the big uh, issue was uh, that recently there was a negotiation where uh, 300 of them were released. But historically, it's not something new to see the release of uh, child soldiers. Uh, with us speaking from uh, uh, South Sudan is uh, Vedasto and Nzungwango, who is UNICEF's chief 
Chief of Child Protection. And, you know, Vedasta, what's interesting is the fact that this is not a new program and this is not a new negotiation uh, because of the fact that this is not the first release. And you highlighted the fact that these negotiations and peace agreements have been uh, painstaking in, in themselves, in their nature. But can you put us through in terms of the releases historically and some of the uh, successes we've seen through the uh, work that organizations such as UNICEF have, have done? Thank you very much. Uh, uh, in terms of release and, uh, and, and success stories uh, coming out of that in South Sudan, I would say that uh, we, we appreciate that we see a lot of, of achievements. Uh, in 2014, Fifteen uh, in South Sudan, there was uh, there was a release of children from 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 armed group called Cobra Faction in Jongre uh, State. That release allowed uh, a number of children, uh, approximately one thousand seven hundred children, were released from Cobra Faction mm-hmm. and went back to their community. Despite of the fact that uh, uh, the community where they came from, people area, it was. Uh, conflict affected states there was no a lot a number of social services schools were destroyed and uh, and then of course other other social services like uh, hospitals uh, they were not in good shape they were just starting but uh, uh, these children who came back from armed groups they were able to integrate well to their community unicef and other 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 child protection partners they were able to, to, to support re-establishment of education services in those areas and, uh, and, uh, and of course looking at the quality of education and retention of, of, of those students. This was, uh, was, was also cutting across uh, training of teachers and making sure that the school uh, committees are trained, they talk to their community. It, 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 it was about making sure that community they know the, the, the importance of education and the importance of staying with their family, with their children who have just returned from, from our group. But also, apart from those children who were able to go back to school, yeah. uh, UNICEF and partners they were able to, to, to open uh, vocational training in those remote areas with all the challenges which happened. And it, a number of children joined vocational training, and we can see them now that they have started their own business in, in, in people and moving on well. Of course, there's a lot of challenges in such areas where, uh, one, uh, we have not... Have, we have not seen the total peace. There are still a number of groups uh, which are fighting with different parties. So uh, we had a number of children who were really recruited back to, their, to those groups. But the best thing is that the groups were open to discuss with, with us to renegotiate and get the, those children back to, to, to the integration program. That, that was a, a big achievement in, 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 in people, uh, people area. But also, uh, I would like to, to highlight that the integration uh, approach, an integration program we are, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are implementing in South Sudan, we call it Inclusive Community-Based Multi-Sectoral uh, Program, which, which includes provision of education, provision of, of, of protection services, but also provision of safe and clean water in those areas, and making sure that uh, if children are coming back to the community, they're able to get clean water, they're able to go back to school, and those who are joining vocational school, training, they go to vocational training. And what we do, uh, we are not only providing services to children who have been released, 
but also we are providing uh, services to other vulnerable children in the community with a with one-to-one -one approach. If we have 20 children released from our groups, we also take other 20 children from affected community, making sure that they go back to school, they join vocational training, and they get other services being provided uh, as package of reintegration. Well, uh, I think uh, we have uh, Jonathan back on the line there. And I wanted to ask you from a political perspective, Jonathan, uh, because uh, as much as we are seeing uh, r real um, progress in terms of uh, what's happening in terms of releasing some of these child soldiers, recruitment is still uh, taking place in certain seasons because of the renewed conflict and rebel infighting, especially because we saw uh, really a, a fragmentation taking place between uh, 2016 and 2017 and the SPLMLIO really organizing itself once again in terms of uh, really rebelling against uh, uh, the government of uh, Salva Kiir. Uh, we do need a political situation here uh, because uh, child soldiers can be released but what's going to make the this problem really, really solvable is the fact that we need uh, a real progress moving forward politically in the country well I think I think uh, I think there has been a lot of emphasis in fact on, on finding uh, on finding a viable political solution to this conflict there have been several attempts to uh, bring the parties to the table I mean there are ongoing negotiations in Addis Ababa at the moment uh, and there is a strong desire clearly uh, on the part of uh, the international community to obtain compromises on the part of the party. So I think, I think the emphasis on the political solution is already there. What is clearly missing is an emphasis on accountability and an, and an emphasis on ensuring that the perpetrators, people who have been recruiting children, and those people are known. We have names, those names, you know, the, the, the commanders have been named in UN reports and our reports and Amnesty International reports. Uh, it, it is it is important that commanders who are responsible for such actions be uh, be be punished and ju judged for such uh, crimes because otherwise the situation in which we are is that we may find uh, some kind of a, you know de facto political peace but if there is no justice afterwards we have a population an entire generation of South Sudanese now who has grown up in war once again who knows of the ways of war in order to solve uh, political dis uh, conflict. Mm. And so we're likely to see a repetition of these abuses without an actual uh, emphasis on accountability. So that's, that's really what I think uh, has been um, perhaps missing all too much from these so. discussions. There has been a lot of emphasis on compromising with politicians. The problem is these politicians are using the very issue of, of child soldiers as a means to say, look, you know, I am in command of a number of troops, I am in command of, of children, and therefore I should be invited to the negotiation table. So there has always been this sort of, uh, this, this sort of uh, uh, you know, there, there have been incite, in, 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 incentives uh, to recruiting as many people as possible because traditionally in, in the context of South Sudan, those who have been invited to peace negotiations are the ones who are likely to cause the most trouble. Uh, if you are able to cause trouble, then you are invited to the peace negotiations, and then you obtain positions in ministries and positions in the army. Um, you know, so there, there is an active need 
to uh, ensure that those incentives do not exist anymore. And, and in order to do that, one needs justice and accountability. One needs to punish the people uh, that are responsible for those crimes, not to provide them with, you know, positions in, in some sort of eventual uh, coalition or, uh, you know, power-sharing agreement. And also, I know that, Jonathan, as uh, as Human Rights Watch, in this particular report, there's a big call and recommendation that Human Rights Watch is making for the African uh, Union and the United Nations to impose sanctions and also get a court running. Yes, exactly. I mean, as part of the 2015 peace agreement, uh, the parties agreed to the creation of a, of a hybrid court what is the hybrid court? The hybrid court is one in which we would have South Sudanese and African judges uh, presiding over a tribunal that would judge of the crimes that have been committed in South Sudan since 2013. Uh, both parties uh, to the conflict agreed to this court in principle, but what we have seen in practice is that the government has been uh, delaying uh, signature of key documents to put the court in place. So what we have been calling for now is for uh, the African Union, uh, the, the regional states, and the international community at large to really put the pressure on uh, the government of South Sudan to establish that court. If uh, the court is not established soon enough, what we will see is that evidence will disappear. Uh, it will be extremely difficult to build uh, the cases that will lead to prosecutions in the future. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, on the part of the international community, we have not seen uh, a strong enough push, and in fact, quite to the contrary, uh, you know, South Africa, uh, for instance, uh, quite recently signed a memorandum of understanding uh, for military cooperation with the government of South Sudan uh, in a decision that we criticized and said, you know, it's not the time now to look at ways of assisting the South Sudanese army. The South Sudanese army continues to recruit children. So what needs to happen now uh, is that South South Af- countries like South Africa should instead uh, put their resources uh, to uh, ensure that uh, South Sudanese judges, uh, South Sudanese public prosecutors are well equipped to face the challenge of accountability in the future, mm-hmm. not to ensure that uh, South Sudanese soldiers are better trained, uh, because we know what they will do with their training so, so. if there is no accountability. Fidasto, from your perspective, as, as, as we wrap it up, uh, what do you think the solution is uh, going forward? Well, I mean, looking at South protection perspectives, one, I think the solution going forward is, as my colleague was explaining, is towards sustainable peace. Because uh, as much as we are working with armed groups and armed forces discussing about uh, uh, atrocities being committed, discussing about infringement and drug rights violations, we see that the, it, it continues because uh, there's a lot of fragmentation of groups. It makes it more difficult to, 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 to link with them and discuss about the needs of children. One group doesn't link with other. Even in one group, the chain of command is not straightforward. So that will just need a sustainable peace. But also, I think, think once they, they have peace, we will we'll see the changes in community. Because as I said before, socioeconomic status, not only of the country, but, uh, but, uh, but uh, for even going down to the family, is, is, is difficult, is worrying. 
and the, that puts some of the families to keep on on on, on, uh, on, on giving up to their children or children being getting out and go getting recruited apart from those who are being forced. So once we have we have we have uh, uh, the things the, the we are talking about the countries moving forward. They are able to do that and they are able to make sure that they send the resilience within the country they need. Then we we'll see, we'll see the talking of, of, of this, uh, this uh, equipment of children. Well, we have to wrap it up there. Thank you to our guests joining us uh, uh, from uh, uh, Sudan, is South Sudan, rather, is Vedasto uh, Nsa Zugwanko, who is UNICEF's Chief of Child Protection in South Sudan, joining us from Majuba. And also joining us from Oslo is Jonathan uh, Patnield, who is the Emergency Researcher at Human Rights Watch as today. We're focusing on the issue of uh, uh, South Sudan and the child soldiers there. It seems like it's still going to be a, a long uh, process in terms of uh, making sure that that problem is eliminated. Uh, but thank you, gents, for giving us your time. Well, that takes us uh, to a few seconds away uh, from our economics update. Remember, we want you to interact with us on our social media at African Dialogue. That's our Twitter handle or at Channel Africa One. That's the numeric one at Channel Africa One Square. Until next time, from me, Benjamin Mushatama.